Good morning. It's good to see you here. I mean, really good. It says in Psalm 107.7 that he also leads us by straight paths to find an inhabited city. And he led you past that tree on a straight path to inhabit this building. I don't know if that's exegesis is correct, but it's good for you to be here. And thanks for making your way past all of the roadblocks that Satan will throw at us and prove that God's word will endure and the word will be preached and hearts will be reached. Today we are finishing our series on friendship, everlasting love for lasting relationship. It's, it's been really a joy to preach on all of these, uh, on all of these texts in front of us. Uh, there's so much friendship in the Bible and so many truths from the friendships that we see in the Bible. And today's is a special treat, probably one of the most famous friendships in the Bible between two grown men. But first, um, I want to tell you the story of Jackie Robinson. Who knows Jackie Robinson? Really? You know him? (laughs) Okay. The movie came out recently, 42. So even if you're younger, you'll know a little bit about the history of Jackie Robinson. He is the first African-American to break the color barrier in Major League Baseball years ago. A brave man and a hero. Um. It wasn't easy, and he came across a lot of adversity as he broke the color barrier. A lot of people pushed against it um, because this was all new to them, and there was a lot of prejudice that was um, put on him as he played from ball field to ball field. He played for the Brooklyn Dodgers, um, and the story goes in 1947, the Dodgers were playing in Cincinnati, and Jackie Robinson committed an error in the field. And the crowd really got on him. I mean, they really laid into him. And they started throwing out racial slurs and taunts against him that got the whole crowd in an uproar. And they couldn't even continue the game because of all of this, well, all of this taunting against Jackie Robinson. And it was in that moment, maybe you saw this in the movie too, that Robinson's teammate, the shortstop, his name Pee Wee Reese, They just don't name him like they used to. Came over to Robinson, put his arm around him at second base, and started chatting with him until the whole crowd eventually died down. And then they went on with playing the game. Jackie Robinson said later on in his career that that arm around his shoulder and that chatting saved his career. Pee Wee Reese was a captain on the team who earlier, in private, declined to sign a petition that would have excluded Jackie Robinson in the clubhouse. He had written down in private something that he was committed to. But here's the thing about friendship. It's not just about what you write down in private, is it? It's about putting your arm around somebody in front of the whole crowd saying, I am committed to being his friend, even if no one else is. Isn't that an inspiring story? That friendship that you experience when Jackie Robinson had an arm put around him is actually a godly friendship. The Bible says it this way, Proverbs seventeen seventeen. Oh, I'm sorry, there's the picture of uh, the statue. It's in Brooklyn today. The team moved, but they put up a statue. At, I think it's a minor league park there. Um, of, of the friends with arms around one another. Proverbs seventeen seventeen says this, 
It says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. And then Proverbs 18 says this, But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, what is God saying about friendship here? He's saying a couple of things. Friends don't, aren't friends just depending on their moods. Whether things are going well or things are going bad, or you're happy or you're sad, it says a friend loves at what? All times. All times. Friendship is sustaining. And a brother is born out of adversity. Think about the circumstance that Jackie Robinson was in. A friend is born in those moments. It's a tough translation, but it means that friendship exists, not in the good times or bad times. It doesn't wane like that. It exists. In fact, God says it flourishes in the bad times. It's a truth. Have you ever seen, um, what was it, Spielberg's and uh, Tom Hanks' miniseries, Band of Brothers? Those brothers were going through adversity together, and you know if you've seen it, that they became closer and grew closer together because of adversity. Um, A tree goes down, and I get to meet more neighbors this morning when I come to church because of adversity, and you get to park in their front lawns and to tell them about your church on your way out. Okay, Proverbs 18.24 says this. It says that a friend is actually somebody that is closer to you than a blood relation. And I know that's true because some of you have told me this about your church family and friends too, that you're closer and you feel closer to friends that you make around faith than you may even feel around um, your own family. It's closer than a brother. It's closer than bloodline. Friendship, it, it, friendship goes above pedigree and it goes above bloodline and it brings people together. How can we have that friendship? That's beautiful, isn't it? All of that stuff that we just explained from Proverbs. I want that. I want that from you. I want that from my friends. But I also want to be that friend that is always putting my arm around somebody in adversity. The sad part is, is that although I want that from you and I want to give that to you, There's a roadblock. I am not always putting my arm around my neighbor. I'm not always loving to the full extent that God is asking me to love. I'm not always there for my friends, not even for my loved ones, my family. I'm not always there in adversity, and I don't feel close all the time to those people that I want to call my friends. What's the breakdown? Two things we're going to learn today from 1 Samuel 20. We're going to learn the depth of a meaningful relationship, a friendship. We're going to learn the depth and the joy because it's just going to fly off the page when you hear it. And number two, and this is the important part, we all want that, but we can't have it. And so we need to learn where the source is so that we can have it. We're going to learn the depth of friendship and the source of true friendship. 1 Samuel 20 is the story of Jonathan and David, the close friends. But really, the story starts two chapters before in their friendship. In 1 Samuel 18, it's in 1 Samuel 18 that the young man David, who's a shepherd boy from Bethlehem, um, comes to the battle lines of the Philistines. Uh, He's an Israelite. Uh, the, The Philistines are the enemy. He comes to the battle line, and he learns that there's a warrior, a giant, that is taunting God and taunting Israel. And David who is a, man of faith, a boy of faith, goes up against this giant warrior and he says, it's not by the sword, but the Lord will give me the victory. And he speaks truthfully and honestly. And you know the rest of the story. Uh, a couple stones and one shot later and the giant falls. Israelites get the victory. Unlikely hero, a little boy. Um, huge defeat. Israel is celebrating this. And then David 
meets with the king of Israel, Saul. Saul is sort of happy that that the giant fell because now he has a military victory, but he's also, it says verses later, very suspicious. Why? Well, here's more background. King Saul was the first king of Israel. And early on in his reignship, or his kingship, he was reigning for God and doing what God had asked him to do, to, to be just, to be right, to listen to his prophets, and then to carry out God's will. However, Saul, over time, grew increasingly anti-God. And as he grew anti-God, God began to reject Saul because Saul began to do things like go into battle and go into battle on his own terms and not God's terms. And finally, he goes into battle this one time and he does the complete opposite of what God asks him to do. And so God says, I'm going to reject you as king. Although he would live out the rest of his life as a king, God said, I'm anointing or choosing this young man named David. And he did through his prophet Samuel. He anointed this boy that would become king after Saul passed away. God has already chosen him. And you can see God's grace at work through David when he's taking down the giant. You can see God's grace in David when he talks about the Lord protecting him from the wolf and the bear and his flock. And finally, he get, David gets to tell this story to Saul, 18, chapter 18, verse 1. And Saul's cabinet, which included his son Jonathan, who was, by the way, heir to the throne, He tells this story to Saul. Saul grows jealous, like I said, but here, and it's in that moment when Jonathan is hearing about God's grace in David's life that Jonathan has a new friend. And he says, that's the kind of friend that I want. That, David, I commit myself to you. I see God working through you. I see God's grace working in you. And I see that you are a faithful man that wants what God wants. And immediately it says they were made friends. Saul is still upset, and he sends David on suicide missions. He tries to kill him no less than three times with a javelin in his own presence. He tells his son Jonathan, who's best friends with David, to kill David. Jonathan doesn't. He tries to get David to marry into his family, and he's successful. He tries to get him in his pocket that way. But through all of this, God brings David through it all. And finally, David's about to break down because of all the attacks on his life. He's running for his life and he's scared. He runs to his friend, get this, Jonathan, the king's son, in private. And that's the beginning of the text that we have in front of us. It says, then Jonathan, um, I'm sorry, uh, to set this up, David is about to go to dinner with Saul. Saul's invited him to dinner over the next couple of nights. David knows it's a ploy and another plot to kill him. And so David is suspicious, and he's going to come to Jonathan, and he's going to say, I'm not going to go to the dinners that your father's inviting me to over the next couple of nights because I know that he wants to kill me. And Jonathan responds to him. He says, I'm going to watch out for you. I've committed my life to you. He says, verse 12, Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow, if he is favorably disposed towards you. In other words, if he doesn't get angry that you're not here, I will not send you word, and will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, remember, Jonathan can read his father like a book, and he can find out if he's upset that David's not coming to these meals. May the Lord deal with Jonathan. He's using the third person, which is a contract term. He's putting down a contract for his friend, a commitment. Be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace, May the Lord be with you 
as he has been with my father. Three things to take away from that section about friendship. Number one, a friend is committed to praying God succeed in his friend's life. Did you catch that at the end? Jonathan is praying, may the Lord be with you. He has been with his father, and Jonathan's grieving that, that, that his father has turned away from God. But he says to, to David, he says, I'm praying that God succeed in your life. I'm praying that the one who can do far more than I can do to protect you goes with you. When was the last time that your friend came to you with a marriage problem or with a relationship problem or with a work-related problem or they're not sure about their future and you said to them, I don't know the answer either, but my friend, can I pray that God succeed in your life? Can I pray to the one with you about the one that sees far farther in the future than you or I ever can? A committed friend prays for God to succeed in their friend's life. But it's not just that. It goes farther than that. Number two, he says, May the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely. He puts himself into the fray. And he says, I will send you word one way or another. It's one thing to just say that you're going to pray for your friend or pray with your friend, but it's another thing to enter into your friend's pain. Enter into their problem far enough that you can say, I want to do something to help and I will do something to help. A committed friend inserts themselves into their friend's problem. And that leads to the third and the biggest one that Jonathan is going to undergo, and that is self-sacrifice. A committed friend sacrifices himself to benefit his friend. He says that he will go to the table. He's going to go to bat for his friend, uh, David. He's going to sit at the table, even if it costs him his life. We're going to learn a couple of verses later that he goes to the table David doesn't show up. David doesn't show up the next night and Saul thinks, well, he just must have a flat tire. There must be a tree in the road or something that's blocking him from dinner. But then the next night he gets suspicious and he says, David's not showing up because he's trying to run from me. And Jonathan, you're responsible. You're in cahoots with him. I know it. And Jonathan was. And his own father, Saul, tried to kill Jonathan just like he had tried to kill David. You see now Jonathan is putting himself into the fray and it could cost him. In fact, it's self-sacrifice. You see the depth of this friendship? He's putting his life on the line, and not just his life, but do you know what else he's putting on the line? His kingship. Who is the rightful heir to the throne at this time? It's not David in the lower story. Of course, God makes it that way in the upper story. In the lower story, Jonathan is saying, I'm giving up even my rights as to be a king because I want to see God succeed in his will and in this man's life. When I grew up, I played... Um, I guess we're talking about baseball today. It's the theme. Uh, Little League Baseball on a pretty competitive team. I played for the Royals. Don't hold it against me. Um, First base, cleanup hitter. We were a a band of brothers. That was a fun team to play for. We played for years together, all the way through eighth grade, and then we all went to different high schools. Every summer we'd play uh, regularly throughout the week, but then every once in a while we'd play a summer weekend tournament that would go from Friday all the way to Sunday. And... um, one of the agreements that I had with my parents was I can play for this team. Um, and I can play on the weekends, too, on the tournaments. But the out-of-town tournaments that take you out of town on a Sunday, you're going to come back home on Saturday night to go to church. Okay, That's just the agreement that we had. They cared about my faith. They thought that was important, and I loved it that they did that. I, it was a really nice thing now looking back on it, although at the time I didn't always like it. 
Well, we played an out-of-town tournament in Tulsa. We lived in Oklahoma City. And I learned through this experience and thinking about this week that my coach, Coach Doug, was very interested in winning and, and development, but he was even more interested in personal development. And he had looked out for us in every way that he can, now that I look back, out of, back on it. He drove the entire team, well, we drove together in vans up to the tournament in Tulsa. We got to stay in the, in the hotel, and we had to swim in the pool and play baseball. My parents couldn't make this tournament because they had work responsibilities that weekend. So what did Coach Doug do? On Saturday night, he says, I'm going to take you home. I know that what's important to your parents, and I know what's important to you. He took me in his truck for two and a half hours, just him and me, driving all the way back to Oklahoma City. And on the way back, do you know what he told me? He says, I love it what your parents are doing. And we were leaving his family and my friend to play the rest of the tournament, and that's fine, I'm not judging. But he said, I'm not going to go back and coach the rest of the tournament. I'm going to go to my church tomorrow too. A friend who's committed a friend who is looking out for you, a friend that is self-sacrificing. That's the sort of friend, and I don't remember if we won the tournament. I don't remember if we won the games before. I don't remember if it was the championship game that we were in the next day. But I do remember a self-sacrificing friend that cared about me and cared about my soul. Jonathan would go back to his father. But before he does, and he puts his life on the line for David, he keeps on, he keeps on going, and he asks David, this is interesting, he asks his friend to reciprocate the love back to him. In verse 14 it says, Jonathan to David, but show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. You see how confident he is in God, God's grace working in David and how much he wants to see it succeed. That's what's driving his friendship here. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. That last line sounds exactly like the golden rule. What's the golden rule? Love your neighbor as yourself. And if we all, can we all just agree to be friends? Can, I, can you just love me like you would want to be loved and I can love you? And can we just do that outside of these walls? And can everybody in the world just do that? Because then we wouldn't have nuclear war. Then we wouldn't have all these problems. And we could live in peace. That's the golden rule. But it's not working, folks. It's broken. It's broken because on the inside, the Bible says that we are by nature self-interested. And so we don't like putting our arms around other people when they're going through adversity because it could hurt us. We don't always look out for the other neighbor. David himself has been showed this awesome friendship, right? And you'd think, well, he's going to be a great friend the rest of his life, right? Wrong. One of the friends that defended him, not Jonathan, but another friend that went to bat for him and gave up his life for him by being one of his mighty men, David, later in his life, would betray that friend, steal his wife, and then put him on the front lines and kill him. Good friend? We all by nature are sinful and we all by nature break the relationship with one another. And the Bible says this, when we break the relationship with one another, when we aren't the perfect friend to one another, it breaks the relationship with God. Where are we going to find this friend? Is there such a friend that is so committed, that is so in tune and so self-sacrificing 
No, we're not going to find it. It's not Jonathan. It's not David. It's not Coach Doug. It's not Pee Wee Reese. The friend that we're looking for is right in front of our eyes right here. Remember I talked about you've seen the depth of a friendship, but now you're seeing the source of the friendship. And when Jonathan says, show me unfailing kindness, like what? Like what? The Lord's kindness. Jonathan gets where commitment comes from. And it doesn't come from humans. It comes from God. And so years before Jonathan and David, the Lord stood with Moses on a mountain and he said, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in what? Love and faithfulness, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's the commitment. That's the friend. The friend that came to David when David had thrown his friend on the front lines later on and had sinned and he admitted his fault to God's prophet, Nathan. God came back and he said, I forgive you, you will not die. That friend that came to David late in his life when David wanted to build a temple for God, but God came back to him and said this, when your days, David, are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom forever. That's God's contract to David saying, you're not consistent, you're not the perfect friend, but I am the friend to you. I'm going to raise up an offspring. And he did. And that friend that walked on this earth 2,000 years ago was a friend that was perfectly candid with other friends, speaking the truth and love all the time. That friend never was deceitful to another friend. That friend was perfectly self-sacrificing, perfect in every way that we aren't. And then, here's this, he wasn't just showing us how to be self-sacrificing and a good friend. This is the beautiful part about it. He is the self-sacrifice. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Now, friends, that all of your sins are forgiven. All of the commitments that you've broken to another friend are gone and taken care of at the cross. It's that sort of friendship, a covenantal friendship from God to us that is perfect in every way that creates in us the desire to be friends to other people. And when you have that friend, you're going to want to reciprocate that love. You see Jonathan saying to David, um, he says, I want you to reciprocate this love to me. He says in verse 14, you show me unfailing kindness. Jonathan is the Christ figure here. And the Christ figure is asking for a reciprocal. He's saying, reaffirm that love by loving me again too. It grieves Jesus when he's given his life for all of the sins of the world, and then his sacrifice is met with skepticism, scorn, and treated like trash when we don't treat others like we would want to be treated, when we don't reform our ways and repent and turn away from the sin that he's forgiven us. That grieves him. But when, when that heart of ours is forgiven and it turns back to Jesus and it says, I want to keep your name holy, I want to keep my relationships pure. I want to be the best friend. And I want to do that because I love you. Then you know that there's a relationship there. That's the relationship that he's created for you. Not just to receive it, but then to share it with other people. Jonathan went back to his father. He sat at the table. He put his life on the line. And then he came back to David and he said what? Yeah, he's really angry. <laughs> he wants to kill you big time. I, don't, I wouldn't go near that table with my dad. And then he says to David, 
And this is the last time these two great friends meet on earth. Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to town. And it says that they both cried, but David wept even more bitterly. This isn't the end of their friendship because David would reciprocate his love for Jonathan in a different way. Jonathan would later on go to battle with his father Saul. Saul would be struck down. Jonathan would be struck down. And David would become king. David had a successful kingship. On the lower story, he won many battles and he took a lot of land back for Israel. He had a great lower story because he had a lot of grace and mercy showed him from God after he sinned. But at the very end of his life, David remembers his friendship with Jonathan. And this is where a committed friendship, the depth of a committed friendship comes in. It's not a story that you might remember from Sunday school. I highly doubt that it was taught there. Maybe you've never heard it before. It's a beautiful end of the story. David, the king, now calls in his cabinet. And he asks his servants and all of his uh, advisors, he says to them, is there, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? He wants to keep on loving his friend, even after his friend has passed away, by showing kindness to somebody in his house. And David didn't do what normal oriental kings would do at that time. When one king would be deposed, the next king would what? Kill all of the family so that there would be no uprising. David doesn't do that, but instead, his kindness and his friendship that is born out of the grace of God says, to whom can I show? Is there anyone alive that I can still show friendship to? He's looking outside himself to find somebody to love. His servants come back, and they say, we found somebody. It's the son of Jonathan. His name is Mephibosheth. Say that ten times fast. They don't name him like they used to. He says, Mephibosheth is still alive, and he's a son of Jonathan. And David said, bring him in. They bring in Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth is brought in before David, and, and David realizes that Mephibosheth is paralyzed in both feet. He can't walk. He's laid before David. And David says to this helpless man who has nothing to give to David, David says, I'm going to give you back all of your father's land. And I want you to sit at the table and eat with me every day. A love of a friend that's committed takes somebody that is unlovable and puts them at a king's table. A love that is committed to a friend takes a friend that has nothing and gives them everything again. A friend's love that's committed goes out on a limb outside of a church building (laughs) to love people that may not seem lovable. But that's the committed friendship that God has put in your heart by his son that loved you first, that made you his friend. A friend who puts his arm around you in adversity. A friend that goes to the table for you and takes the father's wrath for you. A friend that's closer than a brother, but a friend that's yours and a friend that's mine. Now go reciprocate that love to him. Love him And then love those that you know. Go out on a limb and take that love to anyone who is still alive. God thought they were worth dying for. They're definitely worth trying for. Let's pray.
Dear God, thank you for bringing us through this series on friendship and opening up your word about the deep friendship that Jonathan and David had. Please help us in our friendships to show that same selfless, selfless sacrifice for friends. And please help us to go out on a limb and also to love those who are unlovable or those that seem that they are too far to be loved. In your word, you tell us that they are not too far and that we are the vehicle to love them. So please forgive us for the times that we have fallen short, and please hold us up in your friendship to be forgiven always and to share that forgiveness with our friends and neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen.